hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. So, welcome back to A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, a Doctor Who commentary podcast. I'm Dylan, still here, still talking about Flux, and obviously, I'm also with Joe. Joe, how are you? I'm a bit miffed, and I'm going to take you to task immediately as to what you just said there. A Doctor Who commentary podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> the Doctor Who. No, all right. It is a... They're what about Toby Haydock? Yeah, it's way better. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, he doesn't have you, does he? Right, exactly. If you're listening, Sorry. Toby. Out of Paul Haydock. Come on. <laughs> oh, Dylan Reese on mine. All right. <laughs> no, I'm really well. I'm very hot. I'm not in, as in I'm gorgeous. Like it's extremely warm here today. Well, you are both very hot and very hot, but uh, here we are. It is about 500 degrees <laughs> outside and in, so uh, we may burn up quicker than the universe does in flux. Yeah, Jesus Christ, yeah. Today we're covering Survivors of the Flux, which, um, now I, oh, God damn it. You know what? My instant impulse is to start talking about people that don't like this. And do you know what? I, I'm going to put a kibosh on this almost immediately and say, let's not do that for these last two. Because yeah. I think people do come that hard on these last two episodes, but I think they're great. And I could, I just kind of want to celebrate without a caveat of why, do you, why the hell do you think people are so hard on this, you know? Yeah. Um, well, exactly. So let's not talk about those people. Fuck those people. They'll come, They'll listen to this and they'll go back to these episodes and go, my God, we were wrong. These are brilliant. It is one of the shames in my life, you know, that I think I have fucked one of those people, which is... <laughs> Well, that was before the Whisker era came out, all right? I cannot be... And they were quite cute, but I can't be held accountable for that. Oh, that's fair enough, you know. The, things change, times change. But they certainly do. Um, where did we leave off last time, then? I believe there was a spectacular cliffhanger. There, were, there was there was a huge climax in which... Uh... <laughs> what happened to you? <laughs> You've been doing this podcast too long. <laughs> in which Jodie, Jodie Whittaker went hard as a rock. Um... <laughs> oh, my God. I've got water coming out of my nose. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm all right. Oh. <laughs> Jodie Whittaker turned into a weeping angel. She did. <laughs> Probably one of the most celebrated cliffhangers of her time. Yeah, it, it is. And it's a wonderful cliffhanger. Whether the resolution lives up to it, I don't know. But you know what? They they never do. They never do. But you've got you've got to get you lead the lead of your series out of a situation and how many times has the doctor been near death or occasionally completely dead and then the next episode they wake up so uh, that the resolutions never bother me well i was going to ask you a question is what's more important to you is it uh the cliffhanger itself enticing people back the next week or is it the resolution to the cliffhanger being satisfying oh it's the cliffhanger a hundred percent the cliffhanger Oh, well, I think they succeeded then because we're back to watch we this. We are back. Um, and another question before we go in is, Dylan, there is a lot happening in this episode. Yeah. It's spectacularly dense, this piece. It, it covers years and years in, in narrative terms. Um, and about five plot threads are weave, woven through this. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a big episode. I mean, the whole of Flux is big. And I do think that's why people struggle with it because we are, we are in a new type of Doctor Who here. Um, you know what this felt like to me. This felt to me as close because I think this is the one episode of this whole season that really doesn't stand alone. It is an sort of A to B episode in yeah. the way that Game of Thrones does every week. You know, with all those different plot threads um, taking place. But could you? keep up with everything that was going on here or why is it you and i can keep up with everything going on here like are, are we just smarter viewers we are much smarter than everybody else <laughs> out there. No, or I, are we more in tune with modern television i think there's a certain amount of being in tune with modern television i also think modern television is made for repeat viewing we might have said this on some of the previous episodes but flux is meant to be watched again and again and for you to pick up new things and new bits and understand it more and indeed get new readings off it if you're the sort of person that likes to lay a subtext of metaphor onto things so i i don't think it's something that can it works in isolation but i think the more you watch it the more rewarding it is 
Well, let's go get some rewards then and press play on the episode. Indeed. Are you ready? Yes, you're going to count us in. I certainly am. I kind of want to do it in the, in the form of swarm, you know, a bit camp. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one. Well, that was almost like ASMR, <laughs> then, wasn't it? You know, people are going to get a bonus listening to this. <laughs> That's what they're all here for. <laughs> the, the erections <laughs> the flirtatious banter <laughs> that's what this has become oh my i mean look at the ground this is covering in the the previously on i know it's it's a lot and of course these previously's are building up in a way they don't normally because they, we've got four episodes of previously on doctor who um exactly who was that old woman played by barbara flynn <laughs> in the third what? episode yeah well i mean Obviously, we find out it's Tech Teun, but I guess this is something that I wanted to ask you, and I might ask a few times over this. If I'm a member of, this is not to sound like one of the anti Jody Whitaker brigade, but do you think the casual viewer in inverted commas, or the regular viewers, I prefer to call them, rather than Doctor Who fans, remember who who's Tech Teun is, and do you get enough explanation of that? Yeah, and I I I do think that is the case, and I think Chivers is really careful to wait to drop who she is yeah so he he kind of um explains why she's there where they are Mm. and then that because i think that when you realize who she is that's all that conversation becomes about yeah relationship with the doctor you get enough exposition in there but i think chris chibnall's often criticized for being a bit clunky with his exposition but actually it's a lot subtler in flux a lot of the time and it's all there and people complain that things aren't explained enough. But this really baffles me, right? This thing about um, clunky exposition. We've been watching clunky exposition for 60 fucking years. Yes. You know? and... Go and watch Invasion of Time. They haven't got the money to do the expensive things they want to do. So they're going to throw five minutes of Time Lord lore at you. Yeah. Thanks. And you uh, and Russell T. Davis, Stephen Moffat, they're all guilty of it. Yeah. Oh, can I tell you something? Right? I watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 today. Where's he going with this? I hear you ask. <laughs> but they had a budget, which I, I would imagine is in excess of about a thousand times what Chibnall had in this episode. Yeah. And I'm telling you now, there were some expensive visual effects in that where I absolutely could tell they were in front of green screen. Yeah. yeah. Comparable to this. Yeah. That just goes to show, and and I think this whole episode is full of really arresting images. And I know we said that throughout the whole thing, yeah. But it was particularly noticeable here, like when in a minute when the camera comes up, yeah, and there's hundreds of thousands of weeping angels, yeah, in a field of weeping angels. It's such a, it's such a, it's such a Doctor Who image. And I don't know we that's a cliche that we throw out a lot, but it's also the sort of Doctor Who image that he, the show wasn't even doing five or ten years ago. Oh, these sequences now. Okay, we got Yaz and Jericho and Dan off on adventures around the world, and I'm there for it. Yeah, I want that spin-off. I I don't want it as a big finish box there. I want Russell T. Davis's Doctor Who to have a a spin-off with these three guys going around the world. And all of a sudden, we're in The Mummy or Indiana Jones. (laughs) And again, it's doing that thing of Doctor Who doing other genres and it's again it could be a whole episode but we throw it away in about 10 minutes and it's all the more better for it and, and do it, it could be kind of awkward this because we're just seeing sort of snapshots across the years yeah yeah in different locations what really sells it to me is the humor there's so much jokes so they're a really fun trio to be around here you've got this sort of pulley system of ropes with dan yeah. and Jericho going up and down like a pair of church ringers it's so funny. It's it's very funny. And uh, what I like about Jericho is we talk about this being quite a new version of Doctor Who. But he is a character straight out of classic Doctor Who. And there's a couple of those in this episode, as well as, you know, being this fresh, exciting new take on Doctor Who. There's still stuff there if you like your more traditional Doctor Who. It's just not at the core of the episode. If Jericho had turned up in Pyramids of Mars instead of Marcus Garmin's mate... Yeah. I'll at all be surprised. Like he would fit into that perfectly. Yeah. I, I Doctor Who's always strayed away from doing sort of ancient Egypt and stuff like that, hasn't it? Really, they've never they've never gone fully in. Like there's bits of it. You get a mummy on the Orient Express. You get a pyramid at various points. 
and you get some of some of the Dalits master plan and some of pyramids of Mars, but you never get there's never been like a proper ancient Egypt set story on the TV. Dylan, that is like catnip to Ross T. Davis and his Disney budget now. <laughs> all right, his <laughs> Mickey it's Mouse good. money. Now uh, I've got we've suddenly got an ood on screen. Uh, oh, so my question to you is: mm. Are the ood that popular, or is the costume just really easy to use? Both, right. I think both because I, I every time, well, they're popular with me because every time I see them, doctor's wife, things like that, I'm like, oh my god, it's yeah. a nude. They're quite a malleable uh, sort of alien race because they're so prone to being taken over that you can just use them as any bit of cannon fodder, can't you? But it is nice as well to have one alien race that is sort of seed through all the eras mm. and is that is actually sort of chalking up the number of appearances. Yeah, very true. Now we've got uh, the first appearance of Tech Tayoon in a lovely hat. And a lovely hat like she's off to go exploring herself. But this image of the massive red tree. Yeah. It's sort of I a TARDIS think... with a tree growing out. And I don't know whether it's supposed to be like the whole of space and time. Yeah, but it's, it's amazing. But yeah. and as well, the confidence of tone here as well. We just had that sort of comedy sequence in the tomb. Now we're in like a, a souk. Whereabouts are we? Oh, I can't remember. It just came up on the screen and I've completely... Somewhere very hot. And and yes. suddenly we're in sort of adventure territory where there's bombs going off and people's lives in danger. And then we're on the ship where they're having to murder assassins and throw them <laughs> overboard. But like that's very confident to sort of shift tones one scene after another, you know? But those those scenes of on the ship and indeed in the two remind they're so funny. They remind me of some of the Hartnell historicals. I'm thinking of the Romans and even the Reign of Terror and things like that and the gunfighters, just very silly comedy moments in the middle of um, historical settings. So, again, there's bits of traditional Doctor Who. If you turn this black and white now, it would look like an episode of The Crusade or similar. Mm. People will be blacked up, but I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, and it makes a bit of a mockery as well. The only fan I'm going to mention who's a bit yeah. dismissive is Marv Roth, because he was with me when I was watching this three floors up naked in a very hot room. <laughs> and this the only way to, to enjoy it. This ain't going where you think it is. Um, and he sort of turned over halfway through and he went, oh, nothing's happening. It's just lots of explanations. Actually, plenty is happening. There's yeah. a lot of instant in this episode. There's a lot of incidents in all these episodes, and I think, it, I think it's a bit too much for some people because, but it is again, it's primed for a modern television viewing. You've got to remember his favourite Doctor Who writer is Terry Nation. All right, he's not doing anything too dense or complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, everybody's got their fans. Aren't these scenes wonderful? Okay, come on, can we talk about Amanda Gill? Yeah, and how she takes control in these scenes brilliantly. She's amazing. Now, this guy. This I'm going to call him the ugly waiter. He's not that ugly, but you know he, he's just got such a unique face. Um, but sorry, we were talking about Mandit Gill. She's <laughs> she's she's the ever bit the action hero. She's funny. She's confident. She's playing the doctor again in all these scenes. And she's got two great companions as well. She's got two great companions, and you know we're again we're, all of a sudden we're in a spy, an espionage spy. Yeah, through. This is this. This feels very Indiana Jones, all this stuff. And I think, I don't know, like, I wonder if a whole episode of this would have been too much, but sort of 15 minutes of it in this episode is is just enough. That was too, like, it would have been like your standard issue, episode three of a 10 part, 12 part, 13 part. It would have been a, a fun rom. But what, what, he, what Chibnall's doing here, he's taking all those elements and dicing them up so he can tell a bigger story and without having to go, right, how do we make this part of history really interesting? We throw this monster in and we deal with this person. It's like, no, we can we can visit it all. Yeah. It's it's ambitious stuff. Oh, here we go now. So this is another plot thread. We've got yeah. uh, what's that fella's name? Oh, what is his name? His name is Prentice Stroke the Grand Serpent with the guy. Yes. Yeah. Who and is... then the the other guy's one of the top lads at, at unit. That's right. But, I watched uh, him in an episode of Red Dwarf the other day playing Todd Hunter. Yes, of course. He, and he was in Cold Feet. He's been doing the rounds for years, this guy. And he, again, he's another character. And this scene could be straight out of classic Doctor Who. It's yeah, all. Well, I wonder, you know, if, if he didn't have an episode in mind for his longer season, the formation of Unit episode. Yeah, but I, 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 I'm not throwing that away. I'm putting it in. But also, I did wonder whether if there was ever supposed to be a Captain Jack, maybe it was a Torchwood 
role here rather than Kate Stewart, but I don't know whether there was ever supposed to be a Captain Jack in this. All I know is, is that oily grand serpent, I love every scene. <laughs> He's obsequious here. And then you see him slowly gaining power and being yeah. like a cocky shit by the end, isn't he? But but also, you would never trust... He just He's the sort of character you only get on TV where you go, I don't trust that person. Why is <laughs> this guy... the look of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you see the actor on the... Uh, he's charming as hell. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's very charming in real life. And look, and... and remember again we're in the pandemic at this point yeah and we've we're doing like we've done a market set we've done a, a ship set we're now out on location by a country house later on we're in a country house we're doing cgi vistas like i think in terms of uh the potential of uh ambition with setting doctor who anywhere it shouldn't be this ambitious. No, no. Like, like weirdly, you think sort of pandemic Doctor Who is all set in the TARDIS or something like that. Or you I know. think that's what people were fearing. Yeah. It was going to be a lot of blank rooms, you know. Yeah. Oh, it was like be... Cube or something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, very true. But we've got everything. But they're clever, and they because there's not loads of people in any of these scenes. They're, so they're, no. they're clever yeah. how they think about. It. Now but we it get. It feels big, don't you think? It, it feels does. Big? It feels massive. Um, and now we get Thasmin in full effects, don't we, at this yes. point? So I think our first real inkling of this was in Revolution of the Daleks, where yeah. she had all those post-its up all over that old TARDIS, and mm. she was just obsessed with getting back to the Doctor. But then ever since then, it's sort of been building a bit. But, but well, there was the things with the stuff with Jack as well, wasn't there, where they sort of talked about being in love with the Doctor um, and I do think there's a little bit of it in series, uh, no, series 12. Well, series in Dear Darty, she has a chat with somebody in Dear Darty where she's talking yeah. about somebody that she's very keen on. Yeah. So, but he, it's it's kind of, this is the first moment it's kind of really explicit, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Half of Twitter are up in arms, the other half are the most happy they've ever been. I love all of the doctor guessing what she's going to say as well. I hope you said that, otherwise I'm going to look like a right idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <you know? laughs> She's a, I mean, also to talk about Jodie in this scene, she's just, she's so charismatic and funny. I mean, I have my notes in in front of me and it says that this scene is touching and funny. And then I just wrote, Jodie is a god. She is. She's, she's amazing. She's, and, you know, I said this off mic, but I'm going to say it on mic now because everyone needs to hear it. I was at Comic-Con this weekend and the queue for Mandip Gill was stretching the length of the ice rink. I mean, people were desperate to see it. She was by far the most popular guest there. I, that that doesn't surprise me, and I just think it, it's all bollocks that this series isn't popular. Like I think people in general love her, but they're just not on Twitter shouting about how much they love Jodie Whittaker uh, because they're on other things. I don't know what the kids use TikTok. <laughs> I don't know. I'm too scared to say it without sounding really really old. <laughs> but um, as well. Oh, hang on a minute. We've got uh, Dan and Jericho back now. Oh, they just thrown the fella over the ship, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> He goes, heavy beggar. <laughs> Doesn't he say to Mandy, sorry, to Yaz, um, do you know what? You're a little too good at this. Yeah, yeah. Because she's been doing it for so long. She's yeah. been doing it for so long. And these guys have been thrown in at the deep end. Dan's a plasterer. He was just late for a date. Although he wasn't even plastering at that point, was he? He was only a plasterer in that weird scene that was shot for... <laughs> I was listening to the On The Time Lash guys the other day talking about Flux, and they were making the same point we did in episodes one and two about Dan starting off penniless and ended up homeless. <laughs> Bless him. Um, but boy, he's great. Uh, I was going to ask you, do you think uh, this is the season where, you know, like how every Doctor's got their companion, the second Doctor's got Jamie, the fourth Doctor's got Sarah... Uh, the seventh doctor's got Mel or Ace, if you consider it that way. Yeah. Um, I think like Mandip and Jodie have always had great chemistry. Yeah, but it's this is the the season right up into Power of the Doctor. This is where that cements this as the relationship of that era. Yeah, the definitive relationship of that era. Because I think before this, a lot of people would identify Graham, but I would argue Graham's relationship isn't really with the Doctor. Graham's just very funny, so that's why people are drawn to him. That Graham's relationship is with Ryan and that's that's sort of the the through line of their two seasons but yeah right here you're going I think you're looking at one of the great Doctor companion duos but I don't think it's present in the first two seasons in the same way 
it's so good, you know, that and I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of Legend of the Sea Devils. I do think it's a bit dull. But those scenes between Jody and Mandip, that made it worth watching. Yeah, absolutely. And the, uh, you know, in the ocean with the TARDIS lighting up the ocean, all the fish swimming around. Yeah. I love this. And, oh boy, here we go. Exposition time. <laughs> Uh, but she handles it so well. This all this exposition, um, and witchy, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're both. It's just two really good actors in a room spouting off nonsense, and I don't mean that in like a critical way. I mean in the same way that you know Harrison Ford talked about George Lucas's dialogue in Star Wars, like you can write this shit, but you can't say it. But good actors make all it work, make all this work, and that's what these two are here, and they are both holding their own against each other. I do wonder if a lesser actor would trip up on this much exposition because it, it is basically all explanation. Yeah. But what I love about it is it's their massive ideas. So you've got two universes and Division is literally the division of those two universes, a space yeah. station that exists. It's, and one universe is ending. Yeah. she She's taken away what's uh, seedlings and, and samples yeah. to basically kickstart another universe. So it, think about that. That's so huge, that idea. It, it's such a huge idea. It's something that I hope they explore again and more because I, I, I've said this many times before, but give me give me Doctor Who that goes to other universes. And it doesn't always have to be about meeting someone's alternative nan and things like that. But such a big idea of a, a universe just on the cusp of starting, like, Give me some of that. What what new dangers and terrors and things like that exist there? Yeah, it's it's almost like um, what you said in an old episode about you know how Stephen Moffat can throw away ideas, big ideas, like in one scene, and yeah. he almost does that there, doesn't he? Because we never really touch upon it again, and we don't return to the division, do we? No, absolutely not. And I mean, who knows? Maybe we will. Maybe we will in the future. Do you see that visual there of that massive sort of hand in space? Yeah. Everything looks looks good in this. Every visual effect shot, every set, like they've just pulled out all the stops to make this the biggest Doctor Who story that's ever been told. I remember watching Farscape, right, in, I don't know if it was the late 90s or the early 2000s, <clears throat> and just remembering that they were going for weird all the time, mm. and just unusual-looking planets and weird-looking aliens. I think this is as close as Doctor Who has ever come to just going all out. The universe is a big place, and it, it's not what you're used to seeing in your, in yeah. your average science fiction. Yeah, I think we we have a habit in Doctor Who of just showing, doing the cantina scene with a room full of funny aliens and going, look how big the universe is, and that's it. Uh, and you've got to remember, Rusty Davis shied away from going to another planet in that first season because he wasn't sure the BBC could put it off. Absolutely. Look how far we've come. Yeah, and I think he'll come... And also, he was worried about audiences accepting it, and I think, come this new series, I could be wrong, but I think we'll be on every... <laughs> every planet across the universe that you can possibly go to. And when I was watching this, right, I was like, okay, that's that's the effects showpiece for this episode, you know, uh, that hand in space. And then it was like, no, wait, you then you got Dan and uh, sorry, Die and Vinda. They're running yeah. across various lasers. No, that's the special effects shot for this one. And I just kept doing it, scene after scene. Going, okay, no, we're just, it's just amazing. Well, it used, that's what it used to feel like, didn't it? And even Rusty Davis was quoted as saying in the early series, they had X amount of special effects shots they could have per episode or per season, and they bank them up for the big episodes. But this just, I mean, it all feels like it's a special effects shot. And that's not like a negative thing of like, look at all this computer generated nonsense. As it, it just, they've spent the money. I mean, even just out there with them around those lights, you've got, it's on like some, uh, quarryish looking planet but with all of these old decaying churches around and stuff yeah it's amazing yeah it's absolutely like it's such a huge landscape and vista in every shot this is a different director isn't it uh yes for these episodes i can't remember the fella's name now but i can tell that there's a, a different sort of visual palette from jamie magnus stone's episodes yeah He's Arthur something. Is it Arthur Salim or something like that? Something like that. I'm gonna, I'm just going to look him up. You keep talking while I look him up. Oh, just talking is <laughs> what I'll do, baby. Don't you worry. But here now we are. Oh, do you know what? What's the woman's name who plays Tiktoon? Barbara. Barbara yes, that's the one. 
honestly she's heroic that my one regret is that she dies in this episode i know she she could be a returning force because she's not quite she's not out to get the doctor and like it in an evil way but she's just like you've you've messed all this up so i'd love this sort of vengeful not vengeful but i just love it to be a recurring character who has a vested interest in the doctor's life but it's like with every person that plays the doctor you put them in a scene a one-on-one scene with another really good actor and i think towards the end of this episode jody gets some of her best scenes where she's basically saying you know no i'm not poisoning the universe i did good Mm -hmm. you know what you're doing is wrong when the doctor's sort of morally upright i love those scenes and and, you know cross yeah uh it's azur salim who directs this uh azur also directed once upon time and the vanquishers so I, you know, I don't think it's any secret to say that those are probably the three least popular episodes of the season. Yeah, at the moment, but we'll see how that changes over the next decade <laughs> after we've broadcast right. this. That's right. We're going to be changing minds left, right, and centre. <laughs> see, there she goes. There, morality is a strength. It's just reasserting what the Doctor's all about because she's got this really perverse idea that because the Doctor's gone out into the universe. That she's somehow infected it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it. It's beyond repair now. But I love that idea because the Doctor's just been everywhere. That it's got it's every every action of the Doctor must have consequences. Every action of every Time Lord must have consequences, which is why they don't go out there. And so the Doctor can't help but dist- in my mind, the Doctor's always been sort of even before this destined to be almost the the downfall of the universe with too much kind of intervention. Um, The the absurd thing about uh, her saying it here, yeah, near the 60th anniversary, is that there have been so many Doctor Who stories at this point across so many mediums that what she's saying is absolutely true. The Doctor (laughs) has been everywhere. I'm one bit of history the Doctor hasn't touched, you know? Yeah, it's absolutely everywhere. Apart from to Birmingham, the Doctor never goes to Birmingham. Neither have I, actually. It's a nice thing. It's all right, but I just want a Doctor Who story set in Birmingham. Rusty Davis is listening. (laughs) Doctor Who meets the Peaky Blinders. Oh, the woman you used to call Mother. Yeah. Oh, there's a lovely shot, isn't it? She goes, I think the eyes are the same. Yeah. The way Barbara Flynn plays that. Yeah, it's... um... Uh, here we go. With the oh, Ministry of Di- uh, old school unit headquarters. It's the old, I swear it's the same house from the three doctors that goes through <laughs> that black hole. Except this... we never saw fabulous sort of grand staircases like this, did we, in the 70s? No. And a lovely little cameo here from the Brigadier, mm-hmm. just, just in audio. Uh, I must have said this before, but it's a crime that there was not a cameo by Nicholas Courtney in the new series. It didn't have to be a huge one, just a, just a little something somewhere. Yeah, they, they missed their moment, didn't they? Yeah. They even brought in Tom, for goodness sake, you know. Yeah. Oh, no. do, you know do you know what I love about this scene? I do love the Brigadier cameo. It's the way he goes in here and he goes, this is our fabulous alien detector. And it's got <laughs> the spinning reels of all the technology in the 70s. I'm like, yeah. someone's paying attention to the design yeah. of the 70s. It's, it's a brilliant bit of production design. Now, I'm going to ask the, a question I asked earlier. Do we do we think that Unit is as much a part of the Doctor Who mythos to the general public or the regular viewer that as as Doctor Who fans seem to think it is? Or indeed, when Russell T Davies brought it back, he wasn't quick to do Unit in the way that it was recognisable. It was just a military organisation. But Stephen Moffat and indeed Chibnall here have kind of doubled down on the legacy of Unit and the Brigadier. Do you do? What we're hearing is going to continue as well, isn't oh, it? Oh yeah, Even I think the potential so. of a spin-off and things like yeah. that, and a, and an opportunity to bring back old companions. Uh, I think in the new series, definitely, mm. yes. I think in the classic series, it is just that period, isn't it? That dense yeah. period of unit adventures in the early seventies. Um, yes, I'm going to say yes. I think yeah. I think if you've got if you are at all familiar with Doctor Who. I think you would have casual knowledge of unit. Yeah, no, I think you're right, and it, it's it's odd how how much the brigadier shows up in all these sort of potential '90s Doctor Who's that never happened. It's like it's just seen as if you do Doctor Who, you need the brigadier in this. Yeah, yeah, and I don't disagree with that assessment. 
Now, uh, if there was a unit spin-off, would you prefer Kate Stewart to be in charge or no. Brigadier Bambera? Do you even need to ask me that? St. <laughs> <Saint> Angela Bruce. <laughs> I'll tell you what, right? In that Bambera big finish sets that she does, one, they're amazing. Two, she can't deliver a single line naturalistically, and she's still as cool <laughs> as hell. Honestly, she's amazing. She's so over the top. She she delivers as much emotion as Gemma Redgrave avoids. <laughs> <laughs> Although she does get to display anger in this episode. I remember when she, that scene it comes later. I sat up in my chair and went, fuck me, Kate Stewart is emoting. <laughs> oh, what about that snake coming out of... Yeah, I can't decide whether it's a slightly one of the weaker special effects or whether it's just meant to look... Because so, it's golden, it's meant to look so alien that you don't... That, that it, it's not like a slithery snake, basically. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm unsure of whether I had how believable I find that effect. It reminds me a bit of the time worm, you know, from the New Adventures. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking about Eric Roberts and his uh, gloopy massive snake. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I spent a bit of time thinking about that as well. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and his ham acting too. <laughs> He's brilliant in Big Finish too. I've, I've not done any. any. Oh, oh, excuse me. Yeah, then, do you know what it is? It's minimum effort, maximum impact. <laughs> Just like the TV movie. Now, if he he's someone who, if they were at a Comic Con, I would love to get a photo with. Oh, yeah. I said, God, do the line. Do the line. <laughs> I always dread. <laughs> Didn't the master say that in Power of the Doctor? I think he did. I yeah. swear he did. Yeah. I think he did. It's a good throwback. Oh, here we go. Look, everyone's coming out in hives. That's the timeless children. <laughs> so, okay, now I've got a question for you then about, obviously, that was dropped, that revelation in the timeless children. And then we've sort of had the doctor processing it in Revolution of the Daleks. And now she's like, I'm going to find out about Division. I'm going to find out about all of this. Then all these revelations drop in this episode and she gets the watch. And then she decides, actually... I like who I am. That watch can go go hang. Is that satisfying for you? Yes, it is. But I also think it's something that could be revisited. I'm not saying it will be, but something that could be revisited. It was probably the least satisfying for Nicholas Briggs, who saw the potential of a thousand box sets chucked away <laughs> down that hole in the TARDIS. <laughs> But you've got to do it with a line, you know, down the console. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's more interesting to have this one doctor we don't know very little about in the Ruth Doctor than suddenly be introduced to hundreds, thousands, a couple of other doctors. And I think Doctor Who fans were, it was damned if you do, damned if you don't, because they're always going to be pissed off if you did it, and they're always going to be pissed off if you didn't. So, what is the correct answer? Truthfully, as I said before, maybe a bit more of the Ruth Doctor might have satisfied people. But, but you know, her and the big dog, Carvin Easter, running around somewhere, perhaps. But yeah, well, I think I think the idea of make uh, sort of putting the emphasis on Doctor Who, as in creating mystery around the Doctor's backstory, because so much has been told. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah. And it's very boring then to have everything spelled out to us. So I'm really pleased. Actually, it's very ambiguous. We know there's something to learn. We don't know everything about this character anymore, which we did before. Yeah. Going off to that barn and all sorts and seeing him as a little boy and things. I'm like, yeah. oh, I see that. <laughs> and and at some point, somebody will go back to it. And I'm not saying it'll be big finish, but it's such a rich thing that yeah. I know that after um, the Timeless Children, everybody, there was this whole thing of, well, anybody can be the Doctor. And it's very smart that Chris Chibnall didn't suddenly introduce a whole bunch of every guest character of the week's the Doctor, because oh. that's the sort of stupid thing that people think of. But it means there can always be these other Doctors we can we can meet. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I was literally going to say to you a couple of minutes ago, you really missed out a trick, you know, in getting some prestige <laughs> guest actors in and just, you know, Judy Dench or someone like that. <laughs> just for this one story, this one Christmas New New Year's special, <laughs> you're the doctor. Uh, what, what, yeah, that That's not a problem. But I was just thinking in terms of the, all the speculation was every character that showed up for a, a little bit was like, well, that person's going to be a doctor. That person's going to be a doctor. The, the high name ca- cameo things will happen. I honestly thought when we knew that Chris Chibnall was leaving and we didn't know what was happening for the, the, the 60th, I thought they would get either Stephen Moffat or Russell T. Davis back just to do a one or two off. 
and it would be a bunch of it would be an old doctor or two and then a bunch of new old doctors like you get Hugh Grant to do an episode and I honestly thought that's what we would get we didn't but let's talk about the greatest scene in the history of Doctor oh, Who we're about to watch so here here lies the division between the division get it between what I like in Doctor Who and what Marv Ruff likes in Doctor Who. Right. He thinks this scene is like the nadir of the new series. Desperately unfunny. <laughs> and in the middle of all this, he's like, why are we stopping just to take the mickey out of this? Oh, my God. I'm sorry. He's wrong. This is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, Mark, you're a great, great human, but you are wrong. And the, good thing I... you've got a good arse, all right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I howled at this when I first saw it. I, I howled at it this time round. He's just such a funny, fun character. And there's a lot of serious stuff going on, but you've got to remember that the Mandip story and in, in this is the slightly more fun adventure because the, the, it's got to be the levity because everything else is it's the end of the universe. So it's perfectly right to throw something like this in. We sort of started this sequence, right? I remember on first watching, I'm going, oh, no, what's this? Some mystical guru. Because he's sitting there all serious, isn't he? And the second he sort of went, what? You didn't bring a book? <laughs> you didn't bring a newspaper? I was like, oh, I see what we're doing here. Yeah. Even I didn't think it would end up with him doing that. Yeah. I'm teasing you. <laughs> <laughs> and if I, honest to God, man, fucking Fraser Gregory, okay, my one of my bestest friends, he keeps saying things in this group chat we've got, inflammatory things, and then putting that fella <laughs> saying, I'm teasing you straight afterwards. <laughs> it's given well, him a lot of opportunities. Well, he's he's a gif, isn't he? He's, he's the gif that keeps on gifing. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bitch, your dog. It's brilliant. <laughs> I don't even have a dog since Jericho. Oh, dear. and even this, how they've matted in the mountains and all of that. It's yeah, it's really, really great. It looks amazing. And that's they haven't gone to the mountains there. They're they're in Cardiff, but just think how far we've come from the Daleks in Manhattan. But I really feel as if they've covered a lot of ground, and now we're doing that yeah. fabulous Marco Polo thing of yeah. following the line on the map as it goes across the world. <laughs> China. And I know this is a bit of a Moppet. Moppet? Sorry. Moppet. Stephen Moppet. <laughs> Moppet ripoff. Because he did the, the, the big wall, didn't he, with Hello Sweetie? Yeah. But Doctor Who, including Stephen Moffat, borrows some of the best bits from itself. And it's okay it's to be. Though, because it's set yeah. up with this massive montage of the pair yeah. of them, like, doing the pain. It's, it's self referential. And good idea is a good idea. I mean, look at that shot of the Great Wall of China. As it, I, I just think this looks amazing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And we haven't even mentioned like all the extraneous characters, Bell, Vinda, Carver, yeah. Mister, that are sort of threaded through this episode as well. So, and we catch up with them enough that we don't forget about them. Absolutely. It's, and this is, you know, people go, "Oh, the, the, he's cramming too much in," but he isn't. He's playing. He's telling the stories he needs to tell in this episode to push the plot on while just giving you enough of the other ones. Yeah, and, I um, agree. And I, I had no trouble at all keeping up with what was going on here. I think I said to you in an earlier episode, I could understand why somebody who prefers simple narrative would reject this. Yeah. But for me, where I like a lot going on and I enjoy laughing and I enjoy revelations and there's yeah. a bit of soap in here as well. And I love a soap opera. So, yeah, <laughs> it's got everything, all the ingredients I want. And yeah, characters, brilliant production value. Like, I'm a happy man. Yeah, no, me too. I, I, I like this quick fire Doctor Who. I do think there's room for slower episodes, like uh, things like uh, In the Forest of the Night. I know people really dislike that, but I could, I think that's such a magical version of Doctor Who that I could watch any time, and it's the complete opposite of this. Oh, Dylan, how kind of you to sign up for that episode of. <laughs> You're a very generous man with your time. Do you know? Well, we'll we'll add that to the list of the other four thousand episodes we've got. It's to the length of the Magna fucking car now. <laughs> <laughs> but but I would I will absolutely revisit that with you. I said that ended. Annabelle. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, what's going on now? Come on. Oh, we're uh, seeing the whole universe, aren't we? Yeah. And this is this the point where she drops the whatever can be compressed can be decompressed. Which yeah. is sort of 
I, I don't think the whole thing of the universe going back to normal is ever ex- explicitly stated. But from that line, you kind of go, okay, we can we can reverse this. I don't think that's enough, though. I think something should have been explicitly stated in the Vanquisher because a lot of people went into yeah. it with going, well, she's off on a little romp in a warehouse. And the, <laughs> half the universe has just been... Well, just... that's because the, the warehouse is the only bit of the universe that still exists. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great lie, wouldn't it? Oh, but right. like what we just said there, yeah, this is a furious narrative. But then you get either the Daleks afterwards, which I know is yeah. fast paced, but it's contained and it's a few characters and it's another feather in Chibnall's bow, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, far more know. character focused than plot focused. Yeah. And it's a wonderful little episode. But oh, um, it's one of my favorites, either the Daleks. Yeah. I, um, uh, uh, the director I've worked with a few times when she wasn't a director, and I dropped her a little message afterwards, and she was very pleased with her uh, to, to hear from me because she, she tell her from Joe Ford, all right? <laughs> she shot those Daleks. It's some of the best Dalek direction I think I've ever seen. Absolutely. She does a great job. Now, We've got another sort of man from the ministry sort here, straight out of classic Doctor Who. This Mr. Guy, Brown Rose, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Chin. Yeah, but I only think of him because he's in It's a Sin, isn't he? He's the guy that takes uh, the little Welsh boy to uh, oh, New York, and he's yeah. a dirty, dirty old man. Desperately uncomfortable scene where he's trying to get him to sit on the bed. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's, it's a lovely... This is another little throwback. I think this gives you... Enough throwbacks to classic Doctor Who without having to CGI Sergeant Benton into a scene or something like that. Yeah. Well, which we can't afford to do. I would have been all over that shit as well. But <laughs> I, and just like Mr. Chin, you know, look, he's stuffing his face the whole time. Yeah. He's being obnoxious. But it's really good because it actually does show there is some resistance to, to the Grand Serpent as well. Yeah. It's not like everyone in unit has just bowled over and let him take over. Yeah. Which is quite nice. So I really like the fact that um, unit was created for something as simple as a, a Sontaran stooge as a part of a great master yeah. plan of the Sontarans. But I, I think that's fine. Like, uh, we know other things lead into it in terms of the, the, the things of the Yeti and the, the Cybermen and stuff like that. But yeah, of course, there was there was a bigger influence than that. This scene here, right? I not only was getting uh, flashes of Terror of the Autons with the fella being yeah. attacked in the car, but also... Seeds of Doom, where the yeah. chauffeur um, is is in the front of the car. I'm like, Chivers has given us lots of little touches of, like you yeah. just there, lots of touches of classic Who. And I, but also, I love the fact that dismantling of Unit was such a long game as well. Um, it, it played by Chibnall because everybody went nuts when uh, he got rid of Unit in a line. And he said he deliberately did that. He said that yeah. he deliberately did that so he could reform it again. Yeah. I, I think just that... like it wasn't just like we're dismissing this part of Doctor Who. It was always part of his plan. Yeah, I mean, it's like when JNT gets rid of the sonic screwdriver. It means that you know things get a little bit harder for the Doctor in that back to basics approach of like the because the the problem you have whenever the Doctor lands on contemporary Earth, you go, why doesn't he or she just bring unit in the army to blow everything up? So... I think it's a great joke as well. I know we've talked yeah. about that woman who's <laughs> you and me. Yeah, nice connection to her there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when she just goes, well, when was the last time an alien invasion happened? You know, I love that bit. <laughs> is Dan in his underwear there? Uh, I think he's, he's in his traditional sort of 1800s, 1900s underwear. It's not what I would class as underwear. Dan Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Yaz looks fabulous, doesn't she, in the sort yeah. of waistcoat? Exactly. Oh, okay. So we're finally picking up of what these bloody tunnels are all about in Liverpool. Yeah, but I mean, we get that over these next few episodes, and it it, it makes sense. It it, it's it, it's such a good little explanation of uh, just like a sort of historical artifact that I know they would have done a whole episode on it at some point, probably. But it works just as well in in this episode. This, um, I think this adventure with Jericho Yaz and Dan had the same potential as you know they did the like the year of Martha to cover that year where she was going yeah. around doing sort of anti-master propaganda and then they did Trenzalore Tales which was the doctor so every time sort of a companion or a doctor spends a long time yeah and slip and you could have done a, a great sort of uh series of big finishes or a book couldn't you yeah. just expand it? But they just weren't really doing much of that at this point. No, but I'm sure it will happen at some point. 
I'm sure Big Finish must have the license to this era now it's over, I'm, I, w- I would think. So it's just a case of who they can get and when they can get them. I was on the Time Lash, boys. I was so excited about this fella, jo- uh, Joseph, Will- the actor. Yeah. Who is he? I've never heard of him before. Let me let me have a look on the Wikipedia. They were, like, they were desperate for him to be in Doctor Who, so that just made the episode for him in the uh, Halloween Apocalypse. What's the name of his character? Williamson. Mm, yeah. Steve Oram. Oh, best known for being in the Ben Wheatley film Sightseers. Oh, well, maybe that was it. Hmm, What's nice with that though, with Williamson and with um, oh, I want to say Florence. I always want to say Florence Nightingale, and it's not Florence Nightingale. It's um, oh, uh, Mary Seacole. That he is seeking in a bit of history as well. Yeah, when I said he's touching on sort of all the different things Doctor Who can do: lots of future, lots of past, lots of present. I like yeah. that. Me too. It's Doctor um, Who in a in a microcosm. The flux. Yeah. It's not even a microcosm, it's a macrocosm. Well, it's <laughs> yeah. glorious episodes of the whole thing. There's more locations in this than about five and a half seasons of <laughs> the old Doctor Who's. True. And again, cutting back to this conversation could be it could be dull, but they're they're just playing it so well and it's directed so well. Just... I just feel like uh, Tech Taeyun has a lot of power. And yeah. it's less the dialogue and more the performance. She's so kind of casual yeah, but she's about almost... massive concepts. But she's almost the impetus for Doctor Who at this point. You're kind of going, this is the person that she found the Doctor, did all these experiments, and, you know, this is the person. This is, this is Sidney Newman, mm-hmm. the creator. She's also <laughs> the biggest threat to Doctor Who ever. Yeah. She wants to wipe out every every good deed the Doctor has done. She is both Sidney Newman and Michael Grade in one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> someone write, that's someone write an that's essay. A, that's a terrifying combination. <laughs> that's, my, that's my black archive for uh, obverse books. I'm going to write about this and say, and say how she is a representation of those two figures from she Doctor Who history. The creator. And the destroyer. <laughs> so funny on that season twenty-two uh, documentary they had of him and Matthew Sweet, and he goes, "Well, I'm sorry, but did you watch Doctor Who at the time I cancelled it? Do you consider that a good <laughs> a, a good use of the taxpayers' money?" Yeah, <laughs> unrepenting, unrepenting. What a guy! But he's just <laughs> he's just telling his stories that he's told for years and years in the same way as Colin Baker does. Dylan, <clears throat> here she is. Oh, I my. really like this scene. Yeah, I, I do think I do think she's better in this season than she is in previous seasons. Well, I, I do think I did quite like her in um in Power of the Doctors. Oh, that is this season, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So I I feel like coming back. I don't know whether Chibnall writes her better, whether she's you know had a couple of drama lessons, but uh... well, she's been acting for years. I no, saw a picture of her as a as a kid acting. You know, yeah. Um, it's I think it's the role and just how it's written and how she's chosen to portray. But like when you give her a fun moment, remember the bit where the doctor says to her, "Power of the Doctor, do you want to come in the TARDIS?" And she's like a giddy school kid. Like, Ooh, you know? Yeah. I just oh, I think... when when the doctor sees Tegan and Ace before that, she goes, "Oi, don't start, all right." I, <laughs> I do wonder whether they've written her purposely a bit like the Brigadier, and she's trying to play it a bit like Nick Courtney. But actually, you need more bubble and charisma than that, um, because Nick Courtney was a very specific kind of straight man, I guess you'd say. I mean, not personally, but uh, uh, <laughs> reportedly. Um, but you know, he was—he bought his own humor by being the, and charisma by being so utterly straight against the Doctor. And it was weird because Pertwee's also almost the straight man, but is mocking um, Courtney's performance. He's the Captain Mannering of Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah so exactly. serious that he's hilarious. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's and... just so serious; she's very dull. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's I think that's a real problem. And the only trick I think we missed here by this not being a bigger episode is I'd like to have seen her doing some of this investigation. Yeah. Just telling us, right, well, I've been looking at your files and your funding and all this. And yeah, but there's only the... so much time. Yeah. Uh, where is Osgood, though? Uh, I really don't know why no one's bringing Osgood back. Because she works better with Osgood 
as well. Yeah, if you know what I mean? She's quite fun, isn't she? Yeah, exactly. Osgood, Osgood's got the charisma, so you're like, oh, okay. Jesus well. Christ, man, if they give her any more quirks to make... Yes, we get you're a Doctor Who fan. <laughs> we get it, all right? I'm surprised she's not wearing the Tom Baker underpants. <laughs> now, is, is this really where Kate Stewart lives? It's like modest life, yeah. Yeah, do you remember... Not anymore. Yeah, true. But do you remember Nick Courtney's house in Battlefield, that grand house, and she gets this place in Chiswick somewhere? Oh, that was Doris's money, that was. Was it? He fucked into money, I'm telling you. Oh, right. What did Doris do? Well, I don't know. She was was a countess or something like that. Uh, She's a very rich family. She's connected. Oh, well, then she should have some of that money, right? I'm assuming Doris is long dead. Yeah, I wish you mean that Doris is her mother, then. Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right, back to Bell and Vinder again. Jesus Christ, there's so much happening here. I know, it's all go in the world of the flux. Oh, this is fabulous as well because we've got, is it Bell versus Carvanista? Is that yeah. is it? I love yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, there's another spin off I want as well when they all yeah. go off at the end. Absolutely. It's weird because it does feel like at the end of this, you've got these couple of spin offs and it's the end of an era. And it's like, I mean, I know. Chibnall's on record as saying he had some ideas for spin-offs, but they just didn't have the money. But I don't presume it was any of these because it was towards the end of his time. But but then I say as well, innovate to the end. <coughs> you know? Yeah, but I, it, I think it... I think in the last three stories, uh, even the Daleks, Legend of the Sea Devils, Power of the Doctor, he is sort of leaning to continuity in an extreme way. Yeah, so it was quite nice that there was so much innovation here. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, he's pretty much set up a spin-off in the. Uh, in the power of the doctor as well with the unit and old companions. I don't think it's the last time we see Sophie Aldred or Janet Fielding on our screens, which is a bizarre sentence to say in the year of 2023. <laughs> well, I don't think it, I don't think it's not true that that line about Rusty Davis saying, can you please put Mel in? We're going to, we're going to use her. Can you please sort? I, I wonder if he had something to do with that scene. Knowing what, what's coming up. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. I don't think, for anybody listening out there, I don't think you're going to get an Ian spin-off, unfortunately. (laughs) Not unless it was just somebody struggling to eat soup. uh... Joseph Williams's doors are all marked, and door nine just said, death, death, death. Like (laughs) the sisterhood of Khan. Death, death. So what was through the death door? It's probably that, you know, when they run through and there's that massive volcano going up. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, that is an episode in itself. The doors that go through, the tunnels that go through to different locations. Yeah, it's a brilliant idea. and But you don't need it to be, you don't need it to be a full episode. You can just, you can use it as part of this and I think it works. Well, it just means that to me, by by kind of throwing away big ideas on single scenes, is that Doctor Who is just this catalyst for so much creativity there's like we can throw all these ideas and waste them because we've got even more coming but also if they're good enough people will pick them up again doctor who as we've already said is not opposed to picking up its own ideas and reusing them again and again so i wouldn't be surprised that visual of having the snake tattoo if you're an operative of the grand serpent that's such a brilliant visual of like who's not on our side yeah and who's working for him you know otherwise you'd be like well who's who who's what you know straight away you know right is he's he's the bad guy and these are all people working for him yeah it's a very good idea and it works very well and we've got the Sontarans coming back and this story this episode and the next make the thom- the Sontarans a threat that they have never been before. They're supposed to be these war-loving race who are actually a bit silly and constantly defeated. And in this, they are the big bad and they outwit the Daleks and the Cybermen and, you know, they conquer the Earth. I think, and we're obviously not there in this episode, I think that's my favourite part of the entire season. Yeah. It's as it's as Marvel Universe as Doctor Who ever gets, <laughs> and they pull it off. And the score, oh, anyway, we'll get there. We'll yeah, get there. We'll get there. Oh, here comes our two fabulous camp villains. Yeah, and uh, what I do love about this now is they show up, and just to show their power, and not it's a, a wise thing to do. They just get rid of Tectaeun, and it's like, oh god, yeah, these people are more powerful than anything and this is the reason why there was such a threat to division the the first time round and why division needed to track them down and lock them up 
what I also like is it makes sense because there's a line in this as we needed, they needed all the power from those people that they were putting into passenger yeah. in order to make a bridge to get to division. Absolutely. Otherwise, those scenes were like, well, what were we doing there? Though it was yeah. all for the purpose of them getting here and then it's here. This mm. is where they've got all of the equipment to put their plan in place. Exactly. To destroy and recreate the universe. And destroy, destroy it again. I mean, again, enormous ideas. Yeah, brilliant ideas. Um, and of course, of course, that's what they do because they're the ultimate Doctor Who baddie in that respect. They're they they are just the antithesis of what. Why did why did Doctor Who baddies want to destroy the universe constantly? Because it's fun, and they want to see it happen again and again and again, just to sort of piss off the Doctor a bit. They are the quintessence of evil. Yes. Also a bit mincy as well. Uh, yes. Which just is the exactly way I like my Doctor Who <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, look at this trailer for the next episode. Yeah. Daleks, was... Cybermen, Kate Stewart. I know. The works. Sontarans. And thousands of spaceships. And the Sontarans looking evil as hell. Now, and um... the thing that's definitely not Lungbarra. <laughs> but got us very excited for a second yeah. um and you know as we do the vanquishers i'm sort of gonna tick off you know right uh, have we satisfactorily dealt with that plot yeah i think having watched this back this week i think a lot of it is there's just a yes. few few threads left hanging but i'm wondering yeah. if that's deliberate yeah, I mean, it's difficult to say whether it's deliberate when you're handing over to a different showrunner, isn't it? And only time will tell. Um, I would... Uh, the How sure a lot of fans are about Russell T. Davis not picking up on any of this stuff, I would love it if the next three episodes were just a continuation of the Flux and the Timeless Child just to piss everybody off. I don't think it will be, but... I've got a, I've got a theory that in the 60th specials, He's going to celebrate Doctor Who yeah. and he's not going to not include that era of Doctor Who, whatever his personal opinion is of that era. Oh, I, I, I think, think he loves it anyway. Oh, uh, yeah. I, well, because I remember when you were talking about Power of the Doctor and he went, it was just like an adrenaline rush. Mm. Like Doctor Who, as written by an eight year old, yeah. in excited fury. <laughs> and it was, you know, that's what was amazing about it. Uh, what I'll say is you'll you'll know what, how the current production team feel about it if. There's a flashback, which inevitably there will be, of all the past Doctors and the War Doctors there, but the Ruth Doctor isn't. That's what I would. That, that's what I would say. I don't think he would ever do that. I just no, don't, I don't think either. So. I don't. So, but we shall see. We'll find out, won't we? I, you know, man, that was a that adrenaline ride. That episode. It was. Well, let's see what happens next. Whether we can continue this uh, adrenaline ride to a satisfactory climax. <laughs> well okay indeed <laughs> but before we do go i'm gonna ask you one question though go on and that is because you were less certain about village of the angels not because it wasn't a good piece of television but because it was a bit of an aberration in this season of doctor who mm. are you on more sure footing now Yes, I am. Absolutely. Um, and it's quite interesting because we're recording this. I think we recorded our, our episodes a little bit ahead of On the Time Lash, which we mentioned before. And as we're recording this, they've just done their Village of the Angels episode. And they said about a similar thing of like, it is great, but it's all things we've seen before. Yeah. And what I'm getting here. Is all things I haven't seen before. I know there's been the odd, you know, nod to the past, the past yeah. but, but but I'm... I'm here for this style of storytelling and this style of story. And yeah, I'm back on track after a wobble of something that, as I said in that episode, I didn't think it was bad. It's great Doctor Who, but I just didn't particularly like its placement in this season. And the thing that baffles me the most is how I absolutely adore this season, this sort of densely arc-based season, yeah? And yeah, I can't bear season six, which is doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> but we'll get there. We? We'll, 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 we'll get there. And uh, who knows, maybe it'll make you reconsider. It probably won't. But I'm going to have a pair of sexy geeks coming at me. Telling me <laughs> how, wrong. how can I possibly resist? Well, I mean, who knows? <laughs> By the end of that episode, <laughs> I'll not only be very horny, but my entire perception of Mafia Who will have been turned on at time. <laughs> well, we'll get to that after we've uh, 
witness the vanquishers. <gasps> yeah, let's do it. Bang, I'll cut it there. <laughs> oh, yes, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. That's great. Yeah, we were uh, so positive, weren't we? We were, and lots to say. I mean, the good thing about these episodes are <laughs> there is so much to say because there's so much going on. Even if you run dry for a second, you just have to look at the screen and go, oh, we're somewhere else. <laughs> and the vanquishers, like I said, will be breathless. <laughs> <laughs> Did we get it all? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that, there's three fucking Jodies. That, there's so much plot to wrap up. He's like, oh, well, I can't do it with one. I'm going to need three. Yeah. <laughs> I said War of the Sontarans was our best episode, you know, earlier when we recorded that. Yeah. Not convinced that now. I think it might be The Vanquishers. Yeah, I know. I think, I think, we, well, you know, we'll come to that in the podcast, but it did, it, it certainly, I mean, she's just got better and better throughout these episodes and she started off in a, the high place for me anyway so the fact that uh jody whisker got a chance to flirt with herself i know and did it fantastically well and you just can see all those sort of uh people saying doctor who's too woke fainting and that it's like yeah yes. <laughs> but the master did it a few seasons ago and everybody was loving that because the 10th planet cybermen were there when the well, master it, it was, was a man and a woman wasn't it though it was yeah, a man oh, and a woman. oh yeah oh yes of course yes the way God intended. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when you're flirting with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, in the mirror every much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to start talking about splitting myself into three. 